passion, drive, and patience. What brings home the winning trophy is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors is everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. From superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED lights, and more, whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to turn your car into the MVP and bring home that win. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Rewind the dynamite from the most recent sight. AEW, lighting up the fuse. Sit back and enjoy the bubbly. As we hear from John and Waiting. Hello and welcome to another edition of Rewind to Dynamite. I am John Pollock, joined as always by Wei Ting. It is Wednesday night, November the 8th. Hello, Wei. Hey, John. How are you doing? I'm doing all right. Great day, great night, and everything's wonderful. Why are we starting the show an hour later? Um... Because you started late, I guess. Uh, (laughs) At about, um, uh, let's see, it was about eight, uh, eight ten p.m. or so. I'm uh, sitting down. I'm watching the first match, and uh, Max comes in. Daddy, what's wrong with the floor? It's like I don't know. Or all your, I had cleaned up. Like he made a disaster of this basement, and I spent like twenty minutes cleaning it up. So I'm assuming he made a joke about all his toys have been put away or something like that. I'm like, well. That's just, I made some like joke. He's like, it's weird because it's so wet. I'm like, oh, Christ. I was like, what do you mean it's wet? He's like, the floor, it's all wet. And I come out and dude, it's a goddamn swimming pool that we have uh, unintentionally had installed in our basement. And it's our second flood in less than a year. And this one was was significantly worse than the last one. I think our... (laughs) I think our carpet is uh it is now in our backyard then I don't think it will ever be coming back into this house. Uh just oh. just a mess. Um and both these floods uh during dynamite. I don't know what I should read into this but hmm. um yeah, it was just it was a nightmare and uh so we are in in the process of uh dealing with this. So thank you for your patience way for uh uh delaying this an hour. Well, thank you for doing the show. I gave John every opportunity to back out of the show tonight, but he insisted uh, that he was able to go ahead an hour later, um, which is not really that much time. I really appreciated the extra hour, actually. You know, I could actually take my time, formulate my thoughts and not have to, like, you know, play catch up so much. But this this still ended up feeling like a pretty fast moving dynamite. But I'm also um, I, I hope the best for you, man. That 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 sounds like a nightmare. I have a wet back if you need to borrow it. We we actually got one from a neighbor, so those are those are great investments, um, which mm-hmm. I think we will be. Humidifiers too. 
Yeah, we uh, do you have a humidifier? I have a dehumidifier. I have both. Humidifier. Yeah. I might I might steal one of those tomorrow. Actually, when I see it, (laughs) I might take up on that offer. Not a problem. Um, I want to say this one thing because uh, throughout a long time, I've been very negative on the the TSN player. Okay, Mm -hmm. came through in the clutch tonight because my problem with the TSN player has been whenever I've been watching, I can only rewind say two minutes worth. Like that's all it will allow me to rewind, and it's the most frustrating thing in comparison to the Sportsnet one where. I can go back hours on their live stream to previous programming. It's easy tonight. Like this flood happens. I hit pause and I leave deal with this. Our whole basement area is destroyed. So it's like, I came and watch it on TV there. So I'm coming back and knowing I'm going to have to go through daily motion hell to watch this show. And I see that my TSM player is there. I unpause it and it picks up from where I left off. And it was completely smooth to watch the entire show I I finished before Way did uh, to watch <laughs> Dynamite tonight. Uh, so, hey, um, we will be talking a bit about TSN uh, later on with one of the news stories. But, dude, their player came through in the clutch tonight because I think it would have been an aggravating process for me um, to have to uh, locate Dynamite elsewhere. Plus one for TSN. Yes. yes. Your arc. If not for NordVPN, TSN, they, they came through. All right, let's uh, dive into things. Uh, we'll talk a, a little bit about the, the highlights of the uh, the NXT deal to the CW Network and the TKO earnings call. But for a more in-depth breakdown, myself and Brandon Thurston went about an hour today uh, talking about these stories from uh, all different angles. So you can catch that show from today as well as our brand new intro as well oh, to the show. Great job, John. I mean, I've missed some, uh, you know, some of John Pollock's audio editing um, uh magic and uh i love this intro to pollock and thurston you made if you if you watch the youtube version you will see um listen i'll take the pat on the back for the audio editing skills and you can see my my video transitional skills as i am still learning going from the the background image uh to us on screen and it was a a bit of a cluster off the top but nonetheless uh a new intro we will uh it was not the smoothest open but nonetheless uh let's get into it so CW Network has signed a five-year deal that will see NXT move to the network next year, October the 1st of 2024. R.A. Manuel describing this as a 70% increase in the average annual value of the NXT deal on the USA Network. There's been different figures cited. It would seem, um, you know, deadline cited $15 million as the figure. That seems to be the most reliable um, number of $15 million. So you can look at what this is, you know, 70% increase. Uh, over uh, 15 million. And I'm sure that there's escalators in this deal a- as well that they're looking at. This is moving to a broadcast network, although it is a, a much lower viewed one than your big four networks. But it is, it's a very much as, um, well, I'll, I'll say this. I think that it is, it has the potential to be a step up for NXT, but NXT becomes prime programming on the cw network it's not like this is a small fish in a big pond that they are going on to like their numbers um are ahead of cw's network average and they and the number of homes it they are in more homes it's by about like seven to eight million more homes than usa network at at present so that's what we're looking at here and this will be Obviously, the next big television deal for NXT that I'm sure they will they will treat with a big promotion going into it. And and will it stay on Tuesday nights? That's a big question about this move. 
I mean, it seems to really cement, if not if if this is not already the case, but you know, really cementing NXT as no longer just developmental, but like really a bona fide third brand that um I think you know continues to be um a relevant part of like the WWE ecosystem and WWE storylines, and I can only see that you know growing now. So, um, again, you know, whatever the dollar amount is, um, it's it's a lot more than what they were getting now, what what they were getting years ago when NXT began. So I I can't see this being a, anything but a, a big win for the whole Performance Center concept. Um, and, you know, it gives a bigger platform, a little bit bigger of a platform for the talent that's down there to um, be exposed. Yeah, they're making a big deal about NXT being on a broadcast network, which it, it technically mm-hmm. is like this is like you can trace the lineage of this uh, CW network to, you know, when it kind of joined with the, the UPN uh, networks when SmackDown was on UPN, which was technically a network back when it launched in 99, uh, that being SmackDown. But um the one thing is like the night of the week. The other way is, do you feel like this current presentation in the performance center? Do you stick with this? If you are WWE, it would be incurring a ton of cost to get outside of the performance center. Like is the atmosphere at all a negative to you for NXT as compared to if they were um, going around selling tickets to, to these events or is NXT just not a kind of touring brand at this point that they should be, they're in a building they own. It's keeping costs very low. Right. Yeah. I, I certainly think um, at its scale, um, certainly in the PC, even when it was at full sale, I mean, it it is going to be seen as the third brand. And I don't think that's a perception they're trying to change. They want to keep this on some level, a developmental product that, um, you know, people appear on on route to appearing either on a Raw or SmackDown. So I don't think there's there should be that much pressure for them to run um, any sort of tour i think that's just like such a huge headache now if the show becomes hot enough and there's enough maybe confidence in like you know um the audience for nxt being that big that they can actually tour um then i i i would i would certainly like look at you know the financials to see if it's worth trying i just don't really see that being um worth their while you know just because of the headache involved in in the return is very little when you're looking at it like they are making money off producing television and i mean it would seem like this performance center like i I don't watch this and feel it's like a minor league product when i watch it like it's it's a it's not raw it's not smackdown but i think that it's it's minor league compared to raw smackdown I would say the look, but, though, but it, not, but not. It's not um, like ROH on Sinclair, or is what right. I'm like I'm not saying yeah. it. It doesn't look like to me. It's like this this great uh, hindrance. But I mm-hmm. mean, that was one of the fair comparison points with NXT and AEWs. Like one is in these arenas with six, seven thousand people. The other is in the performance center, and you are, I think, kind of comparing more so the the two of them um, at that juncture. And I think that's a that's a very relevant question about NXT does does this get used as a as a tool again when we see this wrestling schedule next year does this go head up with an AEW program Uh, do we see a move of the night of the week like again all of these shows could end up on different nights NXT included yeah yeah i mean i don't necessarily see them competing like intentionally with AEW. honestly it just doesn't seem like it's it's a worthwhile sort of play you know and it's one that i think 
despite what like you can't have the undertaker on every edition of nxt okay so like going against week to week you know um like your typical AEW dynamite lineup um especially if it's like a wednesday that 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 at the moment happens to be AEW's night i i just don't see them picking that fight um but they will defend if their territory is uh invaded well coming off tuesday's number i'm sure there's a lot of confident people in nxt we'll get into that afterwards uh the tko earnings call way were you at the edge of your seat at 5 p.m eastern on tuesday night for the very first earnings call um i i was uh hovering um over my seat yeah i was so far off the edge that i just um you know ended up in a squat yes you were uh you were on your flywheel your endeavor flywheel sure yes Yes. Uh, we had Ari Emanuel on the call with uh, Mark Shapiro, uh, Andrew Schleimer, who is the CFO of TKO. What an unfortunate name. I'm sorry. And this is, you know, coming from a guy with um, with a very um, with a name who's who that that's been made fun of plenty. So Schleimer. Wow. Schleimer. Yes. Um, some of the highlights. I mean, they went over sort of a lot of the inventory of the merger that has gone through it. Like, I certainly took it to be that they are still looking at ways to find uh, Way's favorite cost synergies, um, which they identified at the high end of the range that we guided. So translate that into English. We came in and we were going to gut a ton of areas and we did about as much as we felt we could. But they're still uh, like identifying synergies in the IT area, marketing, financing, human resources, legal, and then other areas of overlap that you're naturally going to find between two live event touring companies in the UFC and WWE. They talked a lot about site fees, um, where they are continuing to grow. That's obviously a big, aggressive push. It's site fees, it is increasing television rights fees, and it's working with a lot of governments that are willing to spend a lot of money. And it sounds like they are getting an enormous amount for this Elimination Chamber show in Perth that they called the largest site fee that WWE has ever received. That I have to think is a, there's some kind of asterisk that does not include the Saudi Arabia um, money as quote unquote site fees, because mm-hmm. I, I just, the government of Australia, there's no way they're spending $50 million for as great an event as the Elimination Chamber might be for their tourism. Um, but the, yeah, they mentioned the Germany show as well. They had this television deal with the CW Network to tout and very happy with their SmackDown deal. And stating we'll have a lot more specificity in the next earnings call in February of 2024. But Ari Emanuel sees a lot of momentum for Raw, cited uh, the, the ratings for all of its programming being up. There's no churn in our content. We're flexible and very high on where they're going to be going uh, with Ross stating we're having really productive conversations with multiple parties. Uh, They're comfortable with its position, no specific timeline. And that was another takeaway. The, the notion that this deal is not up until the end of September, 2024, and they have a long time. And I read that to be, let's see what happens with the NBA. Cause I don't know how many of these companies are going to be, making a massive um, commitment to WWE when the NBA rights are potentially up for grabs for those, those same places. So we, we could see this one go for, for quite a while until uh, a raw agreement is, is done. Um, and then they, they spoke a bit about competition as well. There was like a, not really much in terms of the antitrust case, but 
competition is not new to them and competition is good said mark shapiro they they welcome uh competition because a rising tide raises all boats sure yeah that that is a theory unless and, you and suddenly the undertaker appears on the boat sometimes the undertaker um kicks a hole into the opposing boat and, and it starts leaking water i mean that can happen too um so there you go uh much more discussion of this with brandon thurston on today's show and, and just lastly how has the stock reacted to any of this if any very little. The TKO stock was down about a percentage point today, so not a whole lot of movement, both with the earnings call and with the the CW network deal. Like certainly no kind of movement like we saw with the, the SmackDown uh, rights agreement in comparison. Now we're going to talk about um, Canadian programming. And tonight, this was actually during the... Um, during the NHL programming on Rogers Sportsnet, they made the announcement that the UFC is coming back to Rogers Sportsnet. Uh, they have reacquired the programming rights for the UFC, the English rights, as well as TVA Sports uh, taking the French rights for the UFC effective 2024. So Sportsnet in Canada had previously had the rights through 2014. Then they moved to TSN, and for a brief time, the Fight Network also had a stake in the uh, the English rights in Canada before TSN took them exclusively. So this will mean uh, TSN is losing the rights, and they will go back to Sportsnet. They are going to have all of the Fight Night cards, pay-per-view prelims, and they will still have eight Fight Pass cards exclusive for those that subscribe to Fight Pass, which was something that they had on TSN as well. Typically the overseas events that you would have to order fight pass to get those eight events and the the rest will be on Sportsnet. And typically how these deals have worked uh, at least for TSN and in the past is it seems like they have the ability to add all the shoulder programming. Uh, they mentioned Dana White's contender series that probably finds its way there. Um, so this is, this is a big shift in the Canadian sports landscape for, for combat sports. And for at least the beginning of 2024, both WWE and UFC will be on the same network on Sportsnet uh, because WWE's 10-year deal is up next year. And I don't know if this is going to open the doors for an extension and they go all in on TKO-related programming or what's earmarked for UFC that um, might have been out of WWE. We we don't know. Yeah, Um as um as of like I, I would say this past week, if not even earlier than that, like when you're watching the Canadian feed of WWE programming, you're seeing cut-ins of um UFC promotion for their pay-per-views. So there's it seems like it's already starting. Um so all right. And this coincided with their official announcement of UFC 297 at the Scotiabank Arena in Toronto on January 20th, which we mentioned on Monday will be the Sean Strickland Drickus Duplessis fight for the middleweight championship. So that is your latest on the on the Canadian sports rights uh, front. Tatsuya Naito had his eye surgery. This is for his uh, oblique muscle palsy, which causes double vision. And uh, Tokyo Sports interviewed Naito. This is his third operation, and I don't believe he can have any more from what I understand of this. Um, he previously underwent this, the surgery in uh, November of 2019, then another in May of 2022, and now this one. So he's not going to be in the World Tag League, uh, which is the final tour of the year for New Japan, but will uh, you know, calmly come back and headline the Tokyo Dome on January the 4th. But this is... Uh, you know, it's been a recurring problem for uh, Tetsuya Naito. And uh, 
Yeah. He, did you see the photo of him with the bandage all over his eye? Mm-mm. It was like, dude, it was like him and Brian Danielson. It was like pretty much the same deal. Like they both had like their eyes, like all bandaged up here for uh, their Wrestle Kingdom bouts that they have coming up. I mean, really interesting that like the, the months before your WrestleMania is when, you know, might is, is the period that might be an optimal time to have a surgery versus maybe taking time off afterwards. It just maybe kind of shows you maybe what the model of uh, business, you know, that might be different for a new Japan pro wrestling or after the Tokyo dome, it's, it's go, go, go into the next year's schedule. Ratings notes. So some very interesting numbers from the past couple of uh, days. Collision on Saturday fell to 366,000 viewers, a 0.09 in the demo. So they fell 23% in viewers, 34% in the demo. Huge losses among women 18 to 49 and women 18 to 34. In the 18 to 34 demo, they were down 47% this week, and it was the lowest 18 to 34 audience in the history of the show. This was going against uh, a big Alabama LSU college game that did 8.8 million viewers. Um, There were five college games altogether uh, against them. But I this was even by regular college football standards, like the Alabama game was huge. But I look at this way as like the confirmation that even if it's not head to head, the day of a WWE PLE that's going to be an impact on on collision. This is the second instance of such, and I think that's it's it's not just going head-to-head that's going to be an issue. There is a burnout factor for wrestling fans in terms of how much wrestling they're going to take in in a given day. And and what's AEW's response to it? I mean, by this point, um, maybe this lineup was their response to really not – try in my opinion to you know load this with any sort of like meaningful star power or i would even say like matches with like significant outcome um that really matter to the to, to your main a storylines um and how to see a, a month out man what are we gonna do that day of crown jewel and someone just look on wikipedia hey it's the acclaimed 69th day as trio <laughs> Yeah, uh, this was like the first collision I just flat out didn't watch, you know, because I just I mean, number one, I watched Crown Jewel and number two, I just didn't hear anything about this that was even worth going back to, to view. Um, so it continues to make me wonder, like, is this going to be the response once a month, you know, uh, whenever they're up against WWE or are they going to um, try something else? Um, like put that would never be my match. approach to just throw in the towel. I think you you never do that to um harm or insult your fan base that actually is going out of their way to watch the show but, like but you. what but what should you do should you overcompensate and put on like a must-see match that you know might attract some people um even if they've they might be watching a wwe pay-per-view to switch over or do you just give maybe more of a standard fit you know addition of AEW collision i'm not doing stunt programming where i'm throwing something out just for the sake of it i think you you get into a trap when you're doing reactive booking as opposed to listen, we have a big match. We've been building this. It's, it's so happy. If you had MJF versus Omega, would you have put it on against the WWE pay-per-view PLE? If I, if like the record was at stake and it was expiring on, on Monday and I had built it up for two or three weeks. Yeah. I would still go ahead with it on, on this night. Even, even if it was a night that I'm not going to draw. Yeah, I don't. I I think it's a it, it's at least debatable. You know what the best move might be. I I would still say like maybe in this moment they're still trying to figure it out, still trying to experiment. But the long term sustainability of you know a, a a weekly product that goes directly up against WWE competition, if not once a month and sometimes twice a month with NXT, um, I I I wonder about the long term viability of that. Yeah, I mean Survivor Series is going to be a 
rough night for collision Mm -hmm. and to a deadline, probably not as much, but Survivor Series is going to be a major show. Um, Also, and given this is collision, I would say there is some crossover. The fact you had a five and a half hour New Japan show that morning, and it's not like that was a throwaway New Japan show. That was a really significant show. There was a match that everybody was losing their minds over that I would say even a casual New Japan observer was going out of their way to see. So you may have had people that watched uh, way more than just Crown Jewel on, on Saturday and Collision. At the end of the night, you look at this lineup. Okay, I'm taking the night off of watching wrestling. Raw on Monday night. This was up against Monday Night Football, but no World Series to contend with. And it resulted in a 9% viewership increase to 1522000 and a 0.47 in the demo. Uh, adults 18 to 34 were up 22%, big spike in men, and 286,300 viewers on Sportsnet 360 in Canada. They're their highest number since August 21st. They tuned in and they were like, oh my God, it's Sami Zayn's moment. We missed it at Elimination Chamber. It's going to happen tonight in Wilkes-Barre, Pennsylvania. He's going to win the big one. And Canada was engrossed on Monday night. I I I directly see that correlation. I mean, Sammy is our, for lack of a better word, our George St. Pierre. You know, he he is that big to us at this moment. So uh, he's our Balrock. Huh? Wasn't that who George played in one of the Marvel movies? Batrock. Batrock. Oh, that was. Yeah, you're thinking of uh, the Street Fighter character. Balrock is that? Balrock. Actor Strike has reached a tentative agreement. Big story. I believe at midnight is uh, when it's twelve oh one. Yeah, the Mm -hmm. strike will end as we are on. How are we going to celebrate when the clock strikes midnight during this podcast? Um, we'll call Loki for his thoughts. (laughs) Okay. Sure. We'll watch Street Fighter. I think they just delayed this so John could get through Crown Jewel. And then they're like, okay, let's sit down. Let's 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 hammer this out. Let him finish up with Solo Sokoa. Big star on the rise. Let him let him get this trip out of the way. Well, seriously, it was really expert timing from Cena, you know, committing to Crown Jewel, like which really like it literally ended exactly the week that he was wrapping up with everything. With the story and the finish, you know, like perfectly leading to uh, the hiatus as well. It was it was kind of nuts. Um, as was this number for Tuesday night. This was the this was not the highest NXT number of the year, but it was the most impressive number of the entire year, in my opinion. They did 794,000 viewers and a 0.26 in the demo. So this was, again, not their biggest audience of the year, but it was still up 18% from last week, which was the second night of Halloween Havoc. And they were running against uh, both uh, Major League Baseball and it was Halloween night. But in the demo, up 29% from last week. This was number one among all sports programming on, on cable on Tuesday night. And this was their second largest 18 to 49 number of the entire year. One of their biggest uh, 18 to 49 audiences ever in the history of the show. It's, it's among the highest. 18 to 34 this week, up 43%. But the key difference was female viewership was through the roof. It nearly doubled in Women 18 to 49, 18 to 34, 35 to 49, like across the board, it was in the 86% and above increases. In fact, women 18 to 49 and women to 18 to 34 higher for last night's show than Super Tuesday a few weeks ago. So this was a show that was built around some Iron Survivor Challenge matches, Braun Breaker and Von Wagner, and a face-to-face with Trick Williams and Carmelo Hayes. And I really do believe that this... I think you could probably come up with different reasons of what is clicking. I think overall the show is clicking, um, but this program with Trick Williams and Carmelo Hayes, I think is a big thing they have on their hands. And mm-hmm. this, 
this overrun, they picked up 10% in their audience in that overrun as well. Uh, but the peak was the Braun Breaker Von Wagner match, which was followed by a backstage segment with Carmelo Hayes and a vignette with the Brawling Brutes, which would suggest like that match had been built up for several weeks on top of it. But I think overall, it's people are into NXT at the moment. Like this was an amazing number, and the lineup did not suggest like no significant main roster talent on the show. It was Alpha Academy. And Baron Corbin, who's there every week. So you can't, unless it's the Akira Tozawa effect, I think this is a case of just NXT. This is a really, really strong number for the program. I think it's one of the big um, stories at the end of this year, John, is just like the the, the sort of um, the rise of NXT as, you know, uh, something that was a pretty beaten down brand, I would say, you know, last year um, with 2.0 and, and just everything to do with that. All of a sudden now, um, you know, making deals and, uh, you know, switching networks and becoming an actual sort of like destination for the wrestling fan that already has so much wrestling to watch on their plate already. So, um, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm happy for everybody involved in that program. Do you think the news of the TV deal might have helped this number? I personally do because it was just such a topic, you know, um, and and I don't know what somebody would have expected to, to hear, you know, by tuning into a program. I don't the think USA. they even mentioned it on the show, as yeah. I recall. Like if they did, it was br- very brief in passing. They made no, right. they made no kind of big deal about it or anything like that. I mean, it probably might have pushed some people as well. But it's not as though it's like there was this big tune in at the beginning of the show and it withered out throughout the show. It's like mm-hmm. very consistent audience throughout the show. And again, like the female viewership was gigantic uh, th- this week. So uh, very big numbers by, by by any standards, like the idea of NXT being number one on, on cable like that was just Im- impossible to imagine a year ago. All right, there you go. All of your news. And we will remind everyone Thursday, um, <laughs> not recording it at my house, but instead from the waiting palace, <laughs> it will be a special edition of talk as we'll be talking about um I think we'll be starting about home ownership. Um, we'll be talking about insurance, HVACs. Yeah, humid like a uh, best humidity for for your um, basement, um, weatherproofing tips. You know, um, all that good stuff. Yes, self made pools, all that great stuff. It's a uh, people seem to enjoy our editions of talk. We uh, we do them. Uh, we we don't. We don't overdo them. So when we do a talk, it's it's for a reason. So yeah, uh, look out for that Thursday, postwrestlingcafe.com. Yeah, and we'll have video up there for not just our YouTube channel members. Uh, thank you to all of you who join us, but also, of course, our Patreon members at postwrestlingcafe.com, available in audio and video. And by the way, uh, if you are a double-double or espresso tier member of the Post Wrestling Cafe, you get your... John Pollock audio updates, which um, I just feel the need to mention because they are they continue to be just like one of my highlights of consuming our own coverage. Um, number one, yes, I am I am you know kind of biased in in talking about this, but I think they're just so professionally done. John, you know, like again, I didn't even ask this of you. I just like you know suggested, hey, what if we just had like a machine read your updates that you put so much work into John volunteered to read them himself. And not only that, he's just like, he's producing these, like he's putting clips in from like, anytime there's like a a significant quote from, from somebody. And uh, he just has, you know, one of the best broadcasters voices and deliveries out there. So it's, they're really excellent. And they're like bite size, 12 minutes. I get through the whole thing, get my news and I'm ready for the show. They're fun to do. I, I, I'm honestly enjoying uh, doing them each day. It's a nice uh, kind of a, 
distraction from just writing stuff as, as well. So if you want to check those out, they are up on uh, for Double Double and Espresso members of the cafe. And um, last thing, I just want to thank everyone that um, whether you bid or not, um, we, we raised like a really nice amount of money for the Doe Fund uh, for uh, Robert Pearson and Real Digital, the, the group that they were uh, helping to raise funds for. So anyone that uh, took a look and, and bid, we thank you very much. Yeah, uh, I want to uh, congratulate our winner, but I will probably wait until like we actually have the show to promote in order to do that. So um, a very generous um, uh, number that um, we ended up reaching. So uh, thank you to everybody who participated. This post wrestling podcast is brought to you by NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. Financial literacy can be daunting, but it's one of the most valuable things you can equip yourself with. On NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast, their trusted financial journalists offer easily digestible conversational discussions on topics like balancing your portfolio. If you think an ETF is one of Cena's five moves of doom, this show might be for you. Planning for your tax bills this April so you don't have to worry about a visit from Erwin R. Scheister and putting away more money for retirement. Because unlike most wrestlers at the end of their careers, most of us should only plan on retiring once. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast on your favorite podcast app. Future you will thank you. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. All right, on to Portland, Oregon, the Moda Center. Sting's return to Portland. And uh, WrestleTix reporting uh, almost 4,500 tickets distributed. So um, that's a good number for uh, Dynamite. We're certainly seeing like fluctuations in some of their, some of the venues they run, but this is like a pretty, you know, a, a good number. I wouldn't say like overwhelming success, but very healthy number for, for Portland. Tony Schiavone just opens up cold and in walks MJF with, a jacket reading 2024 on it and says Jay White is not beating him again. And we get our weekly video chat with Adam Cole, who is worried that Max, uh, he's worried about Max says again, to take Samoa Joe up on his offer to keep the, in order to keep his title at full gear. And Max is not interested in it. He will handle the JAS tonight and in walks Daniel Garcia with Menard and Parker and MJF explains, you're not getting a title shot tonight because of your win-loss record. Rather, I believe in talent over tenure. And this is a chance for two younger stars to fight for the title and asks, are you going to be the sports entertainer or the pro wrestler tonight? And he says the pro wrestler is showing up. Yeah, so this is serious Daniel Garcia. Serious not. Daniel Garcia, no dancing uh, no in dancing. tonight's match. Mm-hmm. And then Roderick Strong in the kingdom come in. MJF says, Strong, you used to be a legend. Now you're a joke. And Strong complains to Adam Cole. That's what the devil would do. And Cole doesn't want to hear any of it. And he says, it's time to remind everyone who Roderick Strong is. And he reminded us by um, not doing anything for the rest of the show. Or, or did he? Oh, okay. Yes. Tease for uh, the, the post-match um, angle. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. They I... really are setting the table here for, like, I think this is kind of part of the intrigue of where this is all leading, but you are seeing some of this, like, you have Adam Cole constantly canvassing for Samoa Joe. 
You've mm-hmm. got Strong that has some still relationship with Adam Cole and where Cole fits in uh, with all of this. But I think that it's, it's an interesting like story that they are certainly keeping top of mind on a weekly basis. Like they do not want you to forget about any of these characters, even though uh, Strong and Cole um, are not even competing, not even like wrestling on the show, but they have a presence. Tonight, I thought was more significant than than usual. You know, with with um, I guess a forward movement for the the devil storyline, as we will discuss. You know, with the show closing angle. Um, this is the second week I believe that they've actually done one of these cold opens. Um, just strictly with no intro and just the interview with Tony Schiavone in the background. And I generally like them. I think they're like a good way to, you know, um, start the show off with the star power and sort of like the 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 forward moving uh, momentum of actual content that they seem to like you know when they typically start the show off like with a match sometimes without even introductions typically the most eyes on the show too and you're introducing Mm -hmm. your top story rather than waiting later in the show for it like you are setting the the stage for the whole show with this story yeah as opposed to like starting off with a match i kind of prefer like having you know, just more of a talking segment just to kind of lead our way into what I consider to be like, you know, the meat, uh, if you will, of, uh, you know, the 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 uh, the, the whole dinner with, with wrestling. But I did feel like they crammed a little bit too much in here, John. You know, you had MJF reacting to getting pinned by Jay White. You had Cole telling MJF to join Samoa Joe. Then you had the interaction and promo exchange with Daniel Garcia to set up the main event. And finally, you had this stuff with Strong in the Kingdom. Like by the end of this this what two minute thing it some of the stuff earlier especially felt like it was just kind of insignificant noise um i really feel like they could have just split this up into two different segments you know like start the show off with like mjf wanting to talk about the loss of jay white then get into um you uh, i don't know talking about daniel garcia and then later on do the stuff with adam cole i think they they just might cram a little bit too much here into like two minutes of a two-hour show Well, we go to MJF and Daniel Garcia, which is the first match on the show for the AEW championship. There's a sportsmanship chant as MJF offers his hand and works on the arm and shoulder of Garcia. And Garcia sold this really well later in the match. And they put an emphasis. It's two guys under the age of 30. And I don't know if this was taking like last week felt like the extreme for a lot of people when it came to the older performers that are getting showcase roles on this program. And not to say this was like a clean sweep, but overall, this show had a vibe to it that to me was um, emphasizing like a lot of the more youthful talent on, on this show. Like, yes, you still had your stings, but this was also a show that I I feel like some of that was taken to heart on this show. I could see that being like a direct sort of reaction to maybe last week where like those conversations might have been the loudest they've been in, in quite a while with Ric Flair. No, I guess Ric Flair was what, two weeks ago? Yes. But Rick, the announcement of his um, signing, I suppose, was last week. But yeah, a lot of like negative sort of press maybe going towards AEW because of, of all those things, plus Paul White. Um, and you got no real mention of any of them tonight. Yeah, I really thought you might just start the show cold with reaction from MJF about the presale. Uh, the whole that was the biggest story. The yeah, it was the biggest what, story. What's the of password the going to be? <laughs> yes. So the match continues as a hammerlock DDT by MJF. Heatseeker gets blocked and then misses with the Panama Sunrise and tweaks his knee. So Garcia goes after it and he tries to lift MJF, but all the work he's done on the arm, he can't lift him. So he does a one arm pile driver and then. It's Garcia going for the Dragon Tamer, which gets reversed into Salt of the Earth, and MJF submits him in 10 minutes and 37 seconds. 
Mm-hmm. I thought this match ended a bit quicker than I thought. I don't know about you, John. You know, I thought there would be a bit more back and forth towards the finish here with at least like maybe one big Garcia near fall. It tends to be the the type of thing they like to do whenever you have like a big underdog facing a champion is to like, you know, give him like a, a good fight so that the underdog at least ends with something. I don't know if this... um resulted in really anything for daniel garcia other than maybe a way to springboard into like you know a need to character refresh which i thought was the intent the other intent was to show they mentioned you know on commentary just how how much better mjf has gotten so i i think they felt a need to make this not a back and forth but a very straightforward win for a guy who's a champion versus somebody who's just not at all in in title contention so in that sense i i thought it was realistic i i liked it but um i guess I was expecting Garcia to look a little bit better coming out of this, but it, it depends on the follow-up story they have for him too. Yeah. And they, they more so focused on the post-match stuff here where MJF offers him the hand, uh, but it's Menard and Parker who prevent Daniel Garcia from shaking hands with MJF and MJF tries to rally the crowd behind Garcia. He tries to go up to MJF, but again, Menard and Parker stop him. So it is kind of what they were doing with Brian Danielson uh, last year. And it's, I think they're getting now more. This is more of the breakout for Daniel Garcia rather than reeling him back into the JAS, which was, you know, they teased him leaving, but ultimately he doubled down with the JAS. This time he's probably ready to break out of this group and do something meaningful with him once we get through this pay-per-view. And anytime he's appeared on camera doing anything significant, the crowd is is fully behind him. So it seems like they're they're getting ready to break him out as a solo babyface. Sting and Darby Allen against the Outrunners, Turbo Floyd and Truth Magnum. And we get a shout out. Tony Schiavone mentioning that it was Jim Valley who brought up that this is Sting's first match in Oregon since 1989, his second match ever in the state. And uh, Jim Valley was in attendance at uh, Dynamite on, on wow. Wednesday night. So Awesome. Um, always uh i'm a big fan of one jim valley same here darby gets a run in uh, gets run into the barricade and the outrunners do their pose sting lays them out stinger splashes scorpion deathlock and submits magnum in 258 um if there was a match to say that we had a match involving uh 65 year old sting or uh 64 year old sting and darby allen whose uh, shoulder god knows what damage is done to it this was about the safest match that these guys are probably going to wrestle this month and i'm totally okay with that 100 percent. this crowd went yeah. nuts for they just wanted to see sting to give yeah. us a splash give us the death drop or the the scorpion death lock and they love this this was everything this needed to be when we're talking about a man basically on his retirement tour um at 65 years old i don't need him taking needless bumps okay his bump card is already more than full he's like, like he's you doing know, three matches this month which is a tall ask of, of, I would say, for Sting and for Darby. So when we define, but define a wrestling match, and this is the beauty of professional wrestling, you can cater a match however you want to the limitations of a person. Sting didn't take one back bump in this entire match, came in here, uh, did some punches, no sold this like double elbow from the Outrunners. Stinger splash Scorpion, waved to the crowd goodbye. Everybody leaves home satisfied. Okay, we didn't get a dive. Save that for the pay-per-view. I don't want to see him give out those dives, you know, on, on free TV. So um, make me pay for it. Again, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm the type of person who just loves to give my money away. So, but I need reason to. Right? Could they ever live it down if this retirement tour was thrown off course because of the Outrunners match? God, that would be so sad. Absolutely. Yeah. Don't take stupid risks. 
against the Outrunners. Shivani does his sit down with Hikaru Shida and Tony Storm. This is shot in black and white. Shida, they know they just casually mentioned Shida's not been pinned or submitted this year. Um, I wonder if they knew before tonight, before somebody went on Cage Match to look. So she Tony Storm says, I couldn't make history, so I became history. And basically says that Sheeta has caused her all of her problems. Both signed the contract and says Sheeta is going to do what she always does. I'm going to beat Tony Storm. And then she knocks the shoe out of Tony Storm's uh, hand. And yeah. it does seem like Luther has kind of taken the role of MJ or RJ City in these as kind sure. of the sidekick to Tony Storm. Yeah, yeah. I mean, um, I guess RJ has bigger uh fish to fry in aw you know he, he he's uh interviewing uh, 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 uh talent coming from overseas so um i i think this is fine like you know tony tony is great like she's only getting better as a character as the weeks progress i think she's getting more and more refined really as um whatever this you know timeless tony storm is she's getting more charismatic more comfortable in the character and it's been wonderful to see the growth um and it's been wonderful to see the company get behind her with the amount of production that they put um same with hikaru shida who i i mean it can't be easy playing a baby face against somebody as over as tony storm you know like and it's tough for it's again it'll be tough for her to get booed i don't really see it happening but that means you need a baby face that's that much better that has the crowd's connection and hikaru shida is somebody like that um she 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 has a great reputation for having great matches but i think on the microphone she's been again getting more and more comfortable delivering english promos she showed really good fire here so i i have a bit more interest in this like women's title match than i than a lot of the recent ones I think she has her work cut out for her as for her role, like on top of it, like you would think if there's going to be an elaborate entrance on this show, it's Tony storm in Los Angeles uh, Mm -hmm. coming out, which is going to have the crowd immediately. If not like they're already going to be behind Tony storm. And that is just going to put it that much over the top. It's a tough role to be in for a card sheet, but we'll, we'll see how they fare. Swerve Strickland against Penta as a Taz notes that swerve, crossed the line when he broke into a man's home and approached his baby in a, in a crib. So um, yeah. it seemed like the, this, this the, whole the line uh, of the law, I would say um, he should really be in jail, but okay. This home break in seemed to be a lot taken a lot more seriously this week than last week, where it was hangman page needs a better security system. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, uh, the, the, the Kyron guy maybe got fired. Okay, like we we don't know what what sort of reprimand you know went down. Hangman also got a lot more angry this week. It was like last week it hadn't quite settled in because Swerve wasn't in the building, right? I mean, I'd I'd still be pretty furious if I or was, was Swerve in the building. I don't even remember at this point. Um, too too long ago. Was, <laughs> Brian Definitely. in the chat room will correct me. I'm sure. So Swerve counters made in Japan. Penta stops a JML driver. Uh, Penta then leaps over the turnbuckle into a destroyer on the apron, follows with a double stomp. And then uh, Penta is like caught uh, doing a leapfrog out of the corner. And Swerve just takes him by the legs and flips him over into the turnbuckle. Swerve missed a 450. So Penta snaps the arm made in Japan for a great near fall. And then the fear factors stop DVD. He snaps Penta's arm. So in, in theory, we have two broken arms here in this match, but I think they'll heal. Okay. And then he hits the swerve stomp in 13 minutes and 22 seconds. A very enjoyable match. I thought. Yeah, really, really excellent match. Um, 
might have been my match of the show actually um i i thought swerve again continues to just be amazing to watch both on the mic and in the ring um he'll often like retweet something that he'll be working on um that he was able to execute in a match and something i've seen floated around i don't know if it was from him or from somebody else recently was like this powerbomb pickup into a power slam that he did on collision that just looked beautiful um he did a variation of that like uh powerbomb pickup this time into like a dvd and mm-hmm. you know there are also like these other sequences that he'll do like tonight he did this like series of kicks in this match to penta through the ropes that ended in this like swerve stomp and there's so many interesting and creative and again like smoothly executed sequences you'll see from swerve and it just tells you that you know despite um I think how much we've been applauding his character work recently. The man has not stopped evolving in ring, you know, and he really is like starting to become like a really special performer in this company who seems to excel in every category that this business sort of like demands of its top guys. So I really think he should be in the title picture sooner than later. Now, like MGF is so tied up with, you know, all this, everybody on the roster, basically, you still have Adam Cole waiting to come back. So it leaves me wondering like, well, when, when is a swerve going to really get their chance? um but he's he's definitely on the precipice you would think that naturally the winner of this this rematch coming out of full gear should i mean the thing is mjf has like ten thousand challengers lined mm-hmm. up but you can add a name to it with this winner of the swerve and and page match at at full gear mm-hmm. or whoever you're gonna like you need to have like like that's a big match for long island uh opposite mjf if that's what you're expecting to headline that show which i think everyone is yeah, but I'm not just talking about a challenge, you know, I th- I think like a real like a run, uh, which I think I think Swerve sh- should definitely be in line for. Swerve goes to unmask him when Hangman charges with the chair, attacks Swerve on the ramp and then hits him with the dead eye off the stage, telling Swerve, you're a dead man. And I upgraded my security. He got a he got a camera for his front door. Perhaps. <laughs> Gets it right on his phone. Yeah, yeah. And the bonus is that his Amazon packages aren't being stolen anymore. Well, listen, there's there's a there's a problem with that worldwide, I think. <laughs> I um, thought Hangman was great here. Like, this was a much needed correction for me. Of the, like to me, the the baby angle was like it was pretty over the top. And, but if you're gonna do that, like it has to be like on site. Okay. This is this is Jorge Masvidal seeing Colby Covington on the street. Okay, that's the reaction you gotta have regardless of your your plea agreement um this was the reaction i'm gonna pretend that this was the the first uh week after the man approached your baby in your home while you were at work right so brian does correct us swerve was there came out late during the elites match last week but i mean i'm guessing he didn't arrive into the building until hangman left so that's my explanation okay okay Alex Marvez interviews Bullet Club Gold, and Jay White was not impressed with MJF's Google Trends promo. I was. I thank MJF for that that line. And says it was as lame as tofu. And says the reason you use graphs is to mask your insecurities. Well, I am truly elite. Ooh. Ooh. <laughs> Man, take your Google Trends. I mean, he kind of admitted, like, yeah, I, I probably am not as recognizable of a of a name as you on Google trends. But I thought this was a great comeback from Jay white for a promo like that. I mean, I, it's, it's something that I, I haven't really seen any, anybody um, use against MJF is what maybe like one of his bigger vulnerabilities. And that's um, his perceived insecurity and need for 
validation validation exactly you know and this has been hinted through his own comments about his struggles with the rejection uh sensitive dysphoria and you know whether or not intentional it's also hinted at when like he takes the time out of press conferences to specifically address like a, a brian alvarez tweet about his match for instance you know all artists take pride in their work and are probably sensitive to like you know criticism to some degree and need affirmation to some degree but i could see it being perhaps an even bigger issue for mjf and i know that because it's probably part of the reason why he's so good is because he's always thinking he's not good enough so to hear jay pinpoint like this sort of very deep rooted like insecurity of mjf i i thought was like really really great material for a promo i've like just hearing from like enough people over the years, ones that are in like very like high positions. It is a, a fear, an absolute fear of failure. That is, uh, it, it can be both a double-edged sword. Like it pushes you to be, um, I, I think the best performer you can be. It also drives you crazy because you never reach that level where um, you, you think you've accomplished the goal, but there is absolutely, that seems to be a very similar trait that, the best people have is that utter fear of of failing that that mm. drives them uh, there's wonderful material within that that very real struggle that i'm sure you know mjf goes through but there's wonderful material there to kind of like showcase into an actual storyline so this would be a thread i would love to see get picked up in the future for him then we had this video for don Callis and the family for next week's street fight mixed in with like a dragon gaiden it will be a like a dragon gaiden street fight next week um i am so out of the loop on video games i literally thought like aew had like designed this trailer with like video game footage before you thought this was their video game oh yeah and then i I didn't know what what this was at all (laughs) like i dude i know negative information about video games um i thought this was cool as shit that they have a sponsor here that this uh, listen on clueless me this was a seamless integration of uh i was ready to buy this game afterwards you're gonna invest in a, like just the game not even a system to play yeah i'm not even gonna buy the system i'm just gonna buy the box and just hang it on my wall or something <laughs> no, like so. this I, I thought this was really cool i thought it was a bit forced if if i like i mean yeah I, I tend to like my like you know product placement um either uh in the body of a podcast okay on one of my own shows or maybe just a little bit more like kind of creatively worked into like you know the, the body of like a promo um but you had a great reaction to it and i think that says everything along like i saw a lot of online reaction from fans of the game that responded very positively they're gonna make a ton of money off of this so you don't want to play this game uh Dude, I don't have time, dude. I I don't even have time to play solitaire. You know, I don't have time to solve this Rubik's cube, John. You know, I don't have time for like a like I, a I dragon guide. Picturing you playing like solitaire. I mean, I come over tomorrow. Maybe we'll. we'll what, what if Don Callis was like studying old footage of Kenny Omega and Kota Ibushi, and he just looked into the camera and said, "Where's my Nord VPN?" And we have a Nord VPN match next week uh, that, 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 i would love it i would love it suddenly they, like, they would have gotten you well that's how it would explain koto bushi being involved you 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 switch the location to japan and he shows up renee coming back we have uh renee with the golden jets and they are interrupted by the young bucks the young jets and they mock the golden jets name stating you know what else is a cool name the elite the elite are a cool name jericho points out that the bucks 
didn't have Kenny Omega's back. And the Bucks mentioned, we created this revolution. You just waltzed in and cashed a big check. And Jericho calls them one of the best teams, but we still feel we could beat you. And it leads to a challenge that is made and accepted for full gear. And Jericho reminds them that they have a guaranteed tag title shot stemming from Wrestle Dream that the mm-hmm. Bucks, I don't think, have ever brought up since. And this title shot will be at stake in the match, as will the future of the Golden Jets. Because Matt says, if we win, this Golden Jets team ends. And Omega finally pipes in. He says, if this is about who the best tag team is, it's you guys. But I know that we can beat you because I already did with Hangman. And it's time to bushy. And Abushi, yes. Uh, it is time for you to act like adults instead of sissy, whiny, bitchy children. And then at the end, Jericho reminds them that he has his own dressing room. Hmm. Very quick build to this one. I mean, I would have loved it if this feud had a bit more time to simmer, but I liked the segment a lot. I thought the character dynamics were um, showed off really well in this short, short little bit. Jericho and Matt clearly are uh, do not like each other, and Omega is largely kind of staying out of it. But because he was kind of pulled in through like the threat of you know feeling like he's a, a not as good of a competitor, um, he's doing it for that reason. So. This is going to be like the unofficial follow-up to, I think, in my opinion, one of a legendary series of matches here between the Bucks and the Golden Lovers and the Bucks and Hangman and Omega. Both matches of the year. So some pretty high standards. They were both matches of the year for me, John. You know, Um, both matches that excel in in in-ring content as well as storytelling. Can this match reach those levels? It's highly unlikely. But um, it, it certainly won't be match of the year this year, okay? Because Will Ospreay is not in this match, but. Listen, like Jericho is more limited than Ibushi at that time, Hangman in as a wrestler, but you can argue he's the best storyteller of the three of them. So I'm really interested to see what they do to live up to that high standard and those high expectations. All right. Well, I I like this. It was like a very, you knew this direction of where they were going. And I don't think this is one that needed a a whole ton to to get to. I think people are interested in the match, but I like this segment a lot. Very simple to the point. Samoa Joe and Keith Lee for the ROH Television Championship. Um, Joe hits a boot and sent on, but then Lee's up to his feet with a German and then a pop-up powerbomb onto Joe, but then Lee collapses, can't capitalize, delayed cover for two, and then Lee lifts him up, and Joe in like midair counters to the Coquina clutch, takes Keith Lee down. Lee is fighting it and fighting it, but he goes out. They note he didn't tap as Paul Turner waves it off in 11 minutes and 25 seconds. And then Joe gets onto the mic and calls himself the greatest ROH television champion of all time. And there were no arguments from this crowd. They all cheered this like, yes, you are. So who's second? Uh, Television champion. Um, I don't know. Can you name another ROH television champion? I mean, there's tons of guys that have. Or get somebody who's known to have a significant ROH TV title run. Uh, Mark Briscoe uh, would, would be one. No, this has been this has been a great run for Joe, and I would say he has been like one of the the strongest um, representatives of this version of ROH. It's been a long run. I don't know if I'd exactly call it a great run, to be honest, dude. Like, how many significant TV title defenses have can we actually name from Joe? I mean, the, the pay per views he's he's been on. He's been on most of the pay per views. I don't think he's been on all of them. Joe has been great, but he's been great regardless of this title. Like, I just feel like it's been a prop for him, and it's just not been a significant thing at all. 
Well, apparently so, because he said he didn't come here to merely be the TV champion. Hunger defines the greats. And tonight I vacate this title because the next gold on my shoulder will be the AEW world title, whether Max likes it or not. And just like that, this near one year title reign is over. That's it. I think it's cool, you know, Joe, like, uh, I mean, he's already he's already competed for the championship and, and you know, had great chemistry with Max in that program. And this just kind of further pushes him into um, that serious territory without needing to drop the ROH TV title in a, sort of like a, any, I don't know, any sort of loss. Uh, I think a bigger, more interesting year and a half, dude, year and a, he won this in April of last year. Sure. But I I think that just more tells me like how insignificant the tv championship is like it's just it how again like it's quality of of the run that i think is more important than the length of the run still though um i i I don't i don't disagree with with your overall point but watching this if i was someone that does not follow roh boy was i told that this is like absolutely meaningless to be following any roh stuff like this it felt like just so trivial well, here's the other thing, like this final battle show coming up. I mean, oh, dude, looking, like, at, looking at the poster initially, we were going to get like the, the Bucks and Paige. We were going to get Cho. And now one by one, like ooh, Bacon ooh, and the Gates of Agony. Those are your subins. Yeah, they'll probably kind a new champion at the pay-per-view, I would think. I guess so. But I don't know. Like, sorry, it's not even a pay-per-view, is it? It's it's uh, it, is Honor Club. PLE? Yeah, just yeah. Honor Club. So yeah, he vacates the title. Like I, I didn't think this did a whole lot for for the belt, but I, I can't say Joe is. Um, yeah, Joe it was more just, important than the belt. I guess so. I just look at this like you you spent a year and a half on this title reign. Was this 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 is your ending? Like it just felt. But again, I don't even deflating. think that was real conscious effort to like prop up the ROH TV Championship. He just happened to have it <laughs> for five hundred and seventy four days because they forgot. They forgot. Okay, well, that's it. Orange Cassidy and Hook. Cassidy addresses Moxley and says that you're the only person I've been thinking of since you left me in a pool of my own blood at All Out in Chicago. I didn't pick up the pieces of Phoenix. I picked up the pieces of the international title that you left, and I need to beat you in order to be the champion I know that I can be. At full gear, I will beat you. Serious promo from Orange Cassidy. No gimmick attached to it, and uh, I think it's about it, it's time. Like we've already seen this before. Now it seems like it's a more regular, consistent thing where um, he doesn't just kind of do the lackadaisical thing anymore. He will speak passionately, like a real person. When just like you know, we accept that he'll wrestle like a, a real passionate competitor when when the time comes. So I think it's it's the appropriate evolution of the character. The Bollywood boys were back to take on the guns. And uh, in 40 seconds, they hit 310 to Yuma on uh, on Gurv. And uh, that was it for the Bollywood boys, who got a chant in the, this brief uh, couple of seconds that they had. But Colton gets on the mic, calls MJF a liar. You're not a generational talent. The guns compare themselves to LeBron James. We've been doing this for three years. We'll be ROH tag champions. Austin says that MJF has only defended the tag titles once and hopes that he picks picks a fat piece of shit from the crowd as his partner. And then Joe walks up to MJF in the back as if MJF might be considering the offer, but MJF walks off, not interested in it at all. Yeah, I think the guns sound really good on the mic. Moxley and Yuta respond to Orange Cassidy, and Moxley says that Orange Cassidy knew exactly what he was doing. They are the dominant pack of predators in the jungle, and it wouldn't be setting an example for Yuta if I don't beat the piss 
out of Orange Cassidy, he explains there are repercussions for actions and makes a reference to, is HR going to come stand in the way? There was like some subtleties here and doesn't even deserve uh, that being Cassidy to get to full gear. And as soon as you land at LAX, it's on. It's gang warfare. And Yuta tells Hook that he crossed the wrong crew. Could you imagine if Orange Cassidy had broken into this man's house in, and like approached his daughter or something mm-hmm. like that? Like this guy's ready to kill based on the fact you won my title without beating me <laughs> and he's ready to kill. Yeah, I don't I think I don't think John Moxley needs a security system. I think he already is the security system. He can leave his door wide open. And no one's going to go in. He's got one of those. I don't call 911 welcoming mats. <laughs> yes, yes. Great, great promo, and they've done a very good job in building up this rematch. It's been mm-hmm. delayed, but in a weird way, I think that's kind of made it feel a bit more anticipated for like this ultimate win that Orange Cassidy is chasing. And they set up the tag match um, for that for that week's Dynamite uh, in full gear uh, yes. in L.A. Yeah, Moxley and Yuta against Hook and Orange Cassidy next week on Dynamite. Wardlow video package. Basically, he's wasted three years in AEW. It's been a living hell. His potential is being wasted. I feel worthless. It's all due to MJF. So his days are coming to an end in AEW. I think he still really needs to explain why he feels this way despite beating MJF and already getting his perceived revenge like years ago. He's yet to explain that sort of like leap in logic, you know? Like it's as if he's continuing the story without like while just omitting the result of that final match, you know? Yeah, I think there's... Like, why is he mad now? Why wasn't he mad, like, I don't know, last year? This is going to be the source of his vignettes next year when he talks about the lack of uh, depth to my character, the 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 big holes in my story. I mean, Wardlow has been a very... I think you would want a couple redos on, on the Wardlow run, especially of the past 18 months. So announced for a Friday night's Rampage, which I guess is done by now, FTR against Vikingo and Commander. Love it. This is exactly the Rampage booking. You know? I've really been enjoying Rampage of late. I really get into this hour on Friday nights. I just turn it on and it's, again, like this has no storyline ramifications, but dude, I'm stoked to watch this match. I'm sure it was excellent tonight. Collision on Saturday, Roosh and Dralistico will take on the Work Horsemen and Sting, Darby, and Adam Copeland against Lance Archer and the Righteous. How many back bumps does Sting have to take in this one? Probably none in a none three way okay. like it's a trios like so let let Copeland yeah. like carry the carry the uh, mm-hmm. the weight in this one and then uh, and then dynamite next week in Ontario California it's got the uh, the uh, Gaiden like a dragon Gaiden street fight <laughs> I'd love for you to review the video game forget dynamite you know I don't need to hear that I couldn't even tell you what system this thing is on but I would love to play it it looked interesting. Then we go on to Julia Hart and the returning Red Velvet, who um, she had a triple threat match against Julia Hart and her knee brace in this match. Um, this knee brace was like giving her trouble uh, during this match. I don't know. Like Red Velvet, she just seemed like um, j- just felt kind of off in the in this match. Like it just seemed like there were some some moments. Really? Where... I didn't sense it myself, but um, I maybe I could watch closer. Well. I mean, she came in, like, both of them did the splits. They mentioned their first match from two years ago. You remember that one, Way? Uh, Red Velvet won the match two years ago. Um, there's body shots by Red Velvet, as they note her father was a boxer. And she gets knocked off balance off the turnbuckle. And then 
the headline story that we skipped over. Forget this TKO earnings call, WWE to CW Network. Julia Hart turned 22 today. I feel so old. Man, it was it felt like yesterday when, like, what? She was, like, I, 21. I don't know. She was yesterday, 21. <laughs> okay, not 21, but, like, she she is our barometer of, like... Old I, and young. Just, just like, the, like a, an incredibly young human being. And um, that means I'm that much older, too. She, uh, Red Velvet hits an iconoclasm, gets a two count. And this is where the, she's, like, playing around with the brace. And I think it was just, like, she wasn't, I think, used to, like, working with this brace on. Mm-hmm. And was just, like, adjusting it. And then Hart hits a moonsault off the top in 8 minutes and 27 seconds. And I, don't, I think among... <laughs> Like we talk about like headbutts and like some like very like sick looking moves, but one that is going to be drilled in my head forever is hardcore Holly taking that moonsault from Kurt Angle where Kurt comes down on his forearm and like shattered his forearm. Mm -hmm. And there's some moonsaults I watch and this is one of them. And it's just like, I just hold my breath as like the moonsault is being hit because that, and that's a 23 year old spot. But it is it it has a piece of real estate in my memory. Julia Hart was not even born when that happened. <laughs> and I really set you up for that one. Yes. Uh, uh, Hart wins here. Eight and a half minutes. They did go through a break here. Um, I mean, I, 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 I hope a million people have done moonsaults perfectly fine, right? I know, you know, and I'm you'll just, get freak accidents once in a while. She got that. like some height on this, and Red Velvet was in so close as well. So I think yeah. like that that was part of it. It was like a lot of height too to it. But um, yeah, this was like a fine return for Red Velvet. Hopefully, she can like stay healthy and get involved in the women's division because mm-hmm. I mean, it's uh, there's been a lot of turnover since February when she was last year. Yeah, I thought these two did really well. You know, um, I like somebody in the chat room just said it right now, but like I was watching this and it's not like I, I, I remember Julia Hart versus Red Velvet at all the first time. OK, but I guess seeing Red Velvet and she comes across to me like um, this is back like when Julia Hart was 20, everybody. Yes, yes. And she comes across to, to me like um, as a reminder of like what the AEW women's division looked like in its initial sort of like, you know, months. Um, and to think about how good Julia Hart is now compared to maybe like, you know, Red Velvet who has had sort of like her growth stunted due to injury or lack of push or whatever, like just shows me how good Julia Hart has gotten. She's so much more confident in ring. She's a very full character. Now she's kind of like leading the storyline amongst this, you know, this sort of a TNT, uh, sorry, TBS, TBS title pack here. Mm-hmm. And I thought she looked really good. Um, I thought Velvet, Red Velvet, you know, looks very good too for somebody who's coming back after like a long layoff um so i thought she she like she didn't really look too timid to me like she was doing like standing moonsaults and she was working really fast i thought so this was like a rare women's match this late into the show that actually like had the full full crowd engagement of like the rest of the show so considering how little we see both of them on dynamite i I think it's a huge win for both of these two so their first match was july 14th 2021 so i stand corrected Julia Hart was 19 when they had their last match. Um, a lifetime ago. Yes. And now we'll get the rubber match in uh, two years. Uh, sure. I'm sure it'll be, a, it'll be an eternal battle between them. But afterwards, she applies the heartless submission. So Sky Blue comes down to confront Hart. Hart is searching for the blue mist, as w- whether Sky Blue has it inside of her mouth. Statlander and Willow come down as backup. And then Sky is checking on Red Velvet and Julia Hart takes off and uh exits we go to the back rj city introduces the newest signing by aew mariah may and she comes in 
And she mentions coming from stardom and is a big fan of RJ cities. And she's also a big fan of Tony storm. And she just gets all excited when talking about Tony storm. And when RJ says, I can introduce you to her. So it seems like we're going to have the understudy of Tony storm in Mariah may. Brilliant. I love it. What an excellent idea for a character that um, not only is it a great way of introducing somebody who's completely nameless uh, and like, you know, hardcores will probably have heard of Mariah May, you know, through like her, her run in stardom. Um, but the, your vast audience, like, will have no idea who she is. I but, think it's a breath of fresh air that someone comes on and it's like, I have not heard of this person before. Like, I yeah. think AEW could use some of this like uh, signings that are like. <laughs> Looking to the future rather than the past. Right, sir, sure. But, you know, she immediately becomes relevant because she's attached to, like, the hottest act in the company right now in Tony Storm. I think it's a great way to further the Tony Storm character as well by having somebody underneath her. Now, this could be an understudy situation. It could also potentially be a stalker situation, which I'm kind of hoping for a bit more because like she said she went to stardom because of tony storm and now mm-hmm. she's here because of tony like she's literally exactly. made career moves and uprooted herself yeah. through the influence of tony storm it's been a long time since we've had mickey james and, and her stratus I, I i i think it'd, it'd be what uh you know a wonderful remake uh if we want to use movie terms yeah i thought this was a great arrival for mariah may like tons of like just commanded the screen here for a brief backstage segment um Mm -hmm. i thought like this was not like uh, an overly done like introduction it was not like massive signing tune in tonight um why put that on somebody like this was just the way to introduce someone and with a story that you're kind of intrigued to see how this develops And, and it seems to promise like a character that will get plenty of screen time and dialogue which is rare for somebody not from the wwe in in aw so i i hope they treat this one well and the main event jay white mark briscoe and my god this crowd that was told if mark briscoe wins he will challenge mjf at full gear in the main event and man did this crowd they were ready to plop down their forty nine ninety five for Mark Briscoe going for that AEW title. They were so into Mark Briscoe here. Like it is remarkable for a guy that it's not like he gets tons of television time, but I thought I thought he was just such a great babyface in in this match. And Jay White was tremendous as well. This was um I, I, I did I did quite enjoy the uh the, the Penta Swerve match. That probably was like the best match of the show, but I I really got into this main event. They went 14 minutes and Briscoe slaps Jay White to the floor and eventually White catches him with a DDT. The uh, Bullet Club Gold are getting involved. And then there's a dragon screw in the ropes by Jay White. And then Mark comes back with a DVD and froggy bow. And boy, did this crowd buy into this as a potential finish. Like they're going to beat Jay White. Mark Briscoe is going to get this shot. Uranagi by Jay White. Then he goes to the chop block, counters a Blade Runner into an exploder, and then the Jay Driller gets stopped. It's uh, Jay White with the sleeper suplex, a brain buster. And then after Mark stops the Blade Runner with chops, there's another sleeper suplex, spikes Mark onto his head, and hits the Blade Runner to win the match. 14 minutes, 6 seconds. Um, I I thought this really overachieved for a match that, I mean... (laughs) by the loosest definition had stakes attached to it, but this was, and not the match I was expecting. uh, If you were to ask me this afternoon, what headlines the show tonight, I would not have been suspecting this one. I I agree on all fronts. Um, I, I almost felt like the, the stakes were kind of insulting, like just cause I mean, there are so many people going for MJF's um, title 
and you know you could have maybe sold sold this sort of stipulation if it was like Jay versus Samoa Joe or like you know Jay versus I don't know Wardlow or something like that. But they put zero behind Mark Briscoe as an actual viable you know title challenger. So I thought they were such I don't know um, meaningless stakes. But this crowd was completely. They didn't tell Portland in. that. Like they, yeah. this was a great crowd. Um, in particular for this match, like this was uh, they elevated it greatly. It tells you something about Mark Briscoe and, and to be placed on onto an edition of Dynamite in the main event after not being on TV for half a year because of his injury. I I think he's he's just an incredibly effective, very special underdog babyface that you could really put into any situation. So it's it's it, he's just somebody who really kind of needs that attention to really blossom and. Um, I'm hoping he gets that now, now that he's back. I thought Jay also looked fantastic here. Uh, really great body part working over Mark's knee. And he does these like great sort of sudden explosive attacks that just cut off his opponent's runs. And I thought the BCG was uh, used really well here as well to continue to stack the odds against Mark. He's really like something. And I like, mm. I think the match with MJF is going to be stellar at yeah. this pay-per-view. Like I, I am looking like really forward to the actual match that they, that they have in LA MJF music, uh, MJF's music plays. And instead of coming out from the back, he appears from behind bullet club gold takes out everyone. And there he is face to face with Jay white. And man, this place is going wild. He's finally going to get his hands on him. He puts on the dynamite diamond ring and Jay white runs off. And MJF gets on the mic, hopes that Jay White is at fun playing dress up as top guy. But you're going to have to get into the ring with the real world champion, a generational talent. When I won this belt, I promised myself I would become the greatest AEW champion ever or I would die trying. And that's what you're going to need to do. Kill me to beat me for this title. Finally, I'm fighting for everyone else on this journey. Adam Cole, the people at home, all the people in this arena, I'm their scumbag and asks if the man who holds up the fake gun is going to be the one to end up pulling the trigger on him. Uh, like it is so hard sometimes for a baby face to like truly cut through and you read this and it sounds like just like pandering baby face stuff. But dude, he has remarkably made this transition and mm -hmm. we have seen him stumble along the way. I think he's very much throwing a lot at the wall to make this baby face turn and we've seen him heavily rely on comedy trying to hold on to key elements of the old character so he's not completely divorced from that personality either i think he's really finding himself now in this baby face role the audience i think from the get-go the audience has wanted him to succeed in this baby face role and it does feel it's all coming together for him and it's um, it, it's not just been a snap your fingers and make this transition. Like he's had to work to get to this place. Certainly. Yeah. But I mean, one thing's one thing's for sure. And it's that he's an incredible promo and he could be a, an incredibly great, serious promo when, whenever he wants to. And he gave you a great example of it to close the show tonight. They cut to the back. The acclaimed and Billy Gunn are being attacked by a bunch of masked men. And the key is Anthony Bowens is thrown through a glass window Um I hope he didn't ask Bill Goldberg for advice on how to take this. Or Jungle Boy. <laughs> yes. And so he is thrown out, and then we get a shot of the devil on screen. And MJF is freaking out, races to the back, and he is beside himself that this has happened to his friends. He is looking all concerned, and then Samoa Joe walks in and just laughs at the carnage and walks away as MJF is left to literally pick up the pieces of the acclaimed. Um, and not that, the glass. That, He's not spending time 
picking up the glass. No, no, best best not to. Um, but yeah, uh, an angle to end the show, which is uh, not not always typical, especially a backstage one for AEW. I will say this: I we 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 clearly have seen the the shifting of dynamite, and this was a show that I would say like had some very good wrestling on it, but it's not like it was just an in ring show. There was a lot of story on this show, and I thought this was a a much like a rebound from last week that I thought was a pretty negatively received show. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure there are going to be the detractors of this show. Like this is still being like a very storyline heavy show, but I thought this was such a more effective show in terms of my interest for full gear going in and coming out of it from MGF and Jay white that has taken to me a more serious tone and getting away from this title being stolen hangman mm-hmm. page suddenly realizing wait a minute that was my baby that was in that crib that swerve was talking to uh the buck stuff with omega and kenny omega um with, with jericho and omega like i i thought they did like a lot of good stuff to build up the pay-per-view on the show right i think you only hear a complaint about there being too much of a focus on storytelling when the stories aren't good exactly John, you exactly know? When and when the stories are good, I mean that's that's isn't that what we all want from our professional wrestling? So you know they they got more serious here, and I thought they got they were more effective in their storytelling. I still like maybe have some doubts about um them doing so much with MJF all at once. Like the opening segment tonight, I thought was just such a blur for them to cram in. But um, it seems like the closing angle tonight was like at least some way of maybe tying things together. Okay. So now we have a connection between, you know, at least the acclaimed and also the devil. We have a connection between like, you know, what's going on with Adam Cole and Roderick Strong and now Samoa Joe and MJF. And I'm waiting with all the challengers you have outlined, like all these suspects too. Sure. You're right. Yeah. And I'm waiting for them to maybe like create a bit more of a deliberate tie with all of this to, um, Jay White and, and, and or meaning like, you know, MJF has all this other shit going on. How is he going to stay focused for the Jay White defense? You know, I'm, I'm waiting for them to just maybe hit that uh, point home. Um, but I, I like the final angle. And overall, I enjoyed the show. I thought it was like good wrestling you got and good storytelling overall. So I'm excited about a lot of the uh, like a, a Mariah May debut, for instance, as well. All right. We have a bunch of feedback to get to. So we're going to head on over to the forum. If you want to throw in a super chat, you're welcome to do so. If you want to chime in on any of the news or questions, uh, you can interrupt us as we're going through the feedback. But let us uh, begin. We got a super chat here from Jake Olinar, who says, as far as gaming, though, N64 or GameCube? I never I never played GameCube in my life. So definitely Nintendo 64. And I never played either. I, I was a PlayStation guy. Sorry, Jake. I I don't hear too many like GameCube uh, lifers out there that are like, you know, going to the ends of the earth to defend GameCube. Um, I'm sure they're they're out there. All right. Let's get into uh, the feedback here. We start off with uh, Jesse. What is the deal with AEW and stardom? Because is there really a partnership or is Tony Khan waiting for Monet to start the AEW stardom partnership? Because Jesse always brings up like this exact same point that I I don't think there is necessarily um, like Mariah May's deal was up and they signed her. So I don't Mm -hmm. know how deep you want to look into this uh, beyond that. Um, Much like they got a mention on TV today. I don't know if I mean, they are like owned by Bushi Road and they have a working relationship with Bushi Road or or New Japan. So um, 
I mean, I'm like, what, what, okay. Is there conflict, you know, with their relationship with anybody else um, that prevents them from doing something with stardom or are getting stardom talent over to work? No, I don't think so. Like you had a Tommy like wrestle on, um, what was it? Like a ROH once? Yes. Yes. So I don't know if there needs to be, you know, a press release. Hey, we have an official working relationship, but like, I feel like talents are able to come and go as they want. All right. All right. We'll go to Mr. Kane who says, well, this was just inconsequential until the end. I wonder if there really is such a thing as dynamite fatigue. Maybe we need to reboot and bring back the original roster. Can we contract tamper and get Cody Rhodes back? MJF versus Garcia was okay. Some well-executed wrestling moves and transitions, but it didn't get to that second gear. I wish they would have sold the pile driver spot if they were planning to go to the finish soon after. Swerve and Penta was insane. They both went out there and just delivered in their unique haphazard looking way. The gun squashing the Bollywood boys is almost as much a travesty as not getting more turbo floored on my television. As of now, I can't see myself making that drive from San Diego to LA for any of the AEW happenings next week. I'd rather watch it in the comfort of my own home using my new favorite vpn p.s samoa joe does not care about your meat chance samoa joe just wants to kill next up is alex who writes great to see red velvet back big fan of her offense and her willingness to do stuff like getting beeled onto entrance ramps overall one of the more enjoyable dynamites for me leaning heavily into bell-to-bell action with a roster like that can't go wrong uh regarding the observer hall of fame have either of you encountered someone who is voting for cm punk this year but did not vote last year um, I mean, I, I don't really like quiz people on like their their votes and stuff. So, no, the answer is uh, no, I'm not aware of anyone that did not vote for punk last year. That is this year. It's as, as I've said, I, w- I would have a hard time imagining there's a great number of those people that were not voting for him a year ago. And this past year would be um, enough to um, change their vote. The only people I could see doing that. There's a lot that just for whatever reason, don't like to vote for active performers. And you could certainly say at this point, it does kind of feel like the CM Punk story. Even if there's another chapter to come, we're closer to that after this past year that maybe they feel now is sort of the, like an end point that they'd, they'd feel comfortable voting for him. But as I've said, I I voted for him uh, multiple times and I did again this year. Alex from Portland, who attended the show live. Very enjoyable show. I was glad to see Sting wrestle what might be his final match in Oregon. The guns got some incredible heat after squashing the Bollywood boys, uh, who, of course, are from the Pacific Northwest. I mean, Vancouver. Uh, Swerve Penta was my match of the night. I love seeing people nana dance after swerve got the win my biggest complaint about the show was the sound from the backstage promos they were really difficult to hear the moxley promo was barely audible it got a we want audio chain <laughs> joe dropping the roh title on dynamite even though roh was being taped afterwards that's right so uh, somebody in the chat room uh let us know rampage is not being taped tonight it was ROH. oh that's my mistake right because it's the live rampage on friday night and uh they're taping collision on friday for saturday that's right they're in oakland yeah. on friday uh, and then this person said that happening made ROH seem skippable after seeing a shitty episode of thunder earlier this week. Tonight was a delight question. What role do you see the Callis family having at full gear? I don't know if, if much of one, cause they're coming off of the street fight and it doesn't seem like they could throw them into a match, but there's not going to be much of, uh, anything to build towards it. Like you could put Hobbs in there with, with, with somebody, or they could just be somehow involved, uh, with, with Jericho and Omega somehow. Give me the Paul White, Kota Ibushi tag team. Okay. And pair them up against, I don't know, um, Hobbs and, uh, you know, um, um, any, any of the, uh, Takeshita. Sure. 
Okay, next up is uh, Jamie. Even, evening both. Currently working in Philly this week rather than watching Dynamite, okay? Uh, Swerve and Penta was great. Had some great chemistry throughout and some lovely spots. Mark Briscoe was given some shine on the show, which was good. More, ple- more please, and the ending has got everyone guessing. Real glass, anyone? Okay, well, there you go. Everyone was on top of that one. I do feel that the potential change in the full gear main event story was even weirder this week, especially with Joe going after MJF in his promo. Wardlow, too, and although we know that Mark wasn't going to win the spot. It really hammers home that Jay White isn't winning at full gear with what's lined up for him. Um, Guess sorry. He's was, just, he doesn't see Jay White beating MJF for the title. Gotcha. Um, okay. I got a super chat here from Schmaltzbach. B Schmaltzbach. That's almost as bad as um Slinger. Sting. Slimer. TKO guy, Slimer. Oh, Andrew Slimer. Slimer. Schmaltzbach sends us uh, um, a super chat saying, the choices EW made in their Iron Claw cover shoot. I don't know what the hell that means. I'm assuming like there was like a Entertainment, Entertainment Weekly. Weekly did a, did a feature on, on the movie and interviewed the... Uh... The actors. So, have you seen? Have you seen the cover? Like, was it? it was something... um, I read the story. Um, I mean, nothing like jumped out at me. Um, they they did confirm that uh, Chris Von Eric is not in the movie due to time constraints. Okay, uh, it's a very vague um, super chat there, um, Mister Schmaltzbach. <laughs> so sorry, I can't. We can't really um, answer more. Um, okay, let's go to uh, Andrew up next. Who says Andrew from Cape Breton? Who says in 2016 my basement flooded and it was awful. Uh, so live some live feedback here from Andrew. I was able to get a government grant and some money due to it being from a major hurricane. Hopefully things work out for you too. If you have a hot water heater, keep an eye on that because my hot water heater stopped working shortly after my basement flooded. So this, <laughs> is this all okay? So it's not all um, flooding flood related. Um, I, I don't. Flooding. I don't think too many people listening uh, care about flood flood updates. But thank you anyway, Andrew. I appreciate the update. everybody cares, John. Uh, he says anyway. Onto some brighter news. The show was really good tonight. Tony Khan definitely seems to be sensitive from criticisms from good faith critics, and having a show with a lot of AEW fresher talent was a good choice. I also hope we've seen the end of the ROH TV title. I'm not a fan of the abundance of titles, and one less would be great. I'm also interested in seeing where they're going with the guy in the devil mask. Okay, we move on to Muggin, a solid episode that had some questionable calls, including Samoa Joe relinquishing the TV title to pursue another AEW world title. Why couldn't he put over Keith Lee? I'll never know that. It makes ROH feel lesser than, as a result, MJF's Roadrunner pursuit of Jay White took another turn when the masked man appeared by the end. He's running out of friends, so he might need to reach out to Joe to stand a chance. Could have, I, like... I, I'm, I'm not advocating for Joe to, to, to lose now as you're building him up. I think like you could have just kept this title with him. Um, obviously they didn't want to beat Joe and I, and I'm not even in favor of just beating Joe just for the sake of it right now. I don't know why this title uh, needs to be vacant, but, um, cause yeah, they yeah. don't want to beat Joe. That's why. Yeah. And I think like you could still crown Keith Lee through, I don't know, like some form of, of tournament or, or build or he could um, have just snatched the title after he awoke from the coquina clutch and just took it. Thought he that, would. that would pretty much work too. Uh, okay, let's go to Soran finally from Portland, who was also at the show in his post wrestling hat, of course. Uh, I also I also think I saw Soran sign. He had held up a sign that says, "This vegan likes meat." So <laughs> okay, very good sign, Soran. He says, "I didn't think I would be able to make it because I'm what MJF would call a poor." 
but a friend's brother canceled last minute, so she gifted me a free floor to seat ticket. My biggest takeaway takeaway tonight is if Joe was going to vacate the ROH shuttle, why not just drop it to Keith Lee instead? Yeah, we we kind of talk, talked about that. Um, I don't have much else to report other than the crowd was red hot all night long as we don't get big shows out here. That said, I've never seen a TV show so empty. The arena was only half full. Practically the whole hard cam side was empty seats. I've been to house shows in the past that had more people at them. I know these are hard economic times for most, but that's probably a big factor. Well, and as I said, like 4,500 these days for a dynamite, like is a very like healthy number. The difference is you're running the Moda Center, which is like, it's it's a giant arena in in Portland. Like when... Like for a decade, like WWE didn't even run in the state because like there was like drug testing involved from the commission. So when they finally came back for a house show, um, they ran the Rose Garden and did like it was like 14,000 that, that that they drew to um, in, in Portland. And the Moda Center is uh, like, again, it's it's a big building. And that, again, you look at, um, you know, booking some of these buildings and would they be better suited? Like, what what do you want? Do you want to be um booking like the big building in town and the perception that comes with that. But if you can't fill it, um, does that affect your atmosphere on, on television? I would say tonight, I didn't think the atmosphere was a, was a negative. I mm-hmm. thought the crowd sounded very lively. I thought they mm-hmm. really got into Mark Briscoe for that main event. So um, that, that aspect did not come across on television that it was uh, an arena that, you know, I'm, I'm certain live, it might've had a different feel when you can see the, the enormity of the arena. Yeah, like you really could have fooled me if, you know, you you felt like it it, it felt cavernous, you know, being there live because I thought they sounded and I thought they looked really good on on camera as well. Yeah, I'm just looking like this. This thing, this list is having a capacity of 20,000 people. Like this is what Trailblazers play. So, I mean, knowing that this is sort of like, you know, the ballpark of like what what they're drawing at the moment. Can you see AEW running smaller buildings? I mean, on the surface, it would seem like a no brainer, right? Like it would mm-hmm. seem so like, I, I don't know what the, like what the agreements are that they have with the, with these buildings, like are there like hidden savings or it's like, you know, they're a regular tenant now that, Hey, we're going to run your building three times a year. Like how you get into that. Like, I'm, I'm certain like this is like, they can clearly see, like we book the Moda center this many months out. We're probably not selling this, this venue out, but what do you need to sell at a size of this venue for it to be a, a, a profitable venture for yourself. Like, I don't think they're going to be booking places that are just like money losers for you to, to that extent. But like, what is the, the break even number? Right. Um, but anyway, that was, that was a long way. I, I do feel like the, the smaller venues, like you, you fill a 5,000 seater, like that's going to sound awesome on television. And you're not going to have the perception of a half empty building either at where you can like an 8,000 seat building and you get six in there. Like that's, that's great. Hmm. Well, again, I thought they it, the crowd sounded really good and looked perfectly fine on, on camera tonight, too. So, I mean, there are ways around it. All right. Well, thank you, everybody. Uh, we appreciate your uh, your patience tonight as uh, it was my fault that we were delayed. But uh, thanks to all of you that stayed up. with it's us. It's not your fault, John. Like, don't don't don't. You know, it's it's um, whoever was responsible for the, the pipes in, in your house is the fault. city of Toronto. OK, I'm, yeah. I'm blaming them. Um, or whatever this this plumber tells us tomorrow when he comes and God knows what they will uh, find the problems mm. to be. So that's what cafe.com. Everybody. That's it. That's okay? it. Support John's pipes. Uh, <laughs> sorry. Um, clip that's that. That's shirt. <laughs> Postwrestlingcafe.com is where you can catch talk on Thursday. And I will be talking on Thursday with Mr. Ting. And uh, also, I want to give a shout out because on Friday, 
Uh, it will be episode 25 of Postmarks. David Myers and Bruce Lord have made it to 25 episodes. Um, these episodes are excellent. They speak with members of the, the post-wrestling community and family. And I get to learn things uh, listening about these uh, all these different names and figures uh, in, in the post-wrestling universe. And for number 25, who better than Nate Milton to join Bruce and David? So that will be on the free feed on Friday uh, of Postmarks as they have made it to 25 episodes. And a congratulations to Bruce and David on uh, this idea they came up with. And they have, uh, they've just run with the ball and done a fantastic job with this show. It's 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 really remarkable. I mean, I think they're both fantastic interviewers, first of all. And uh, I it's it's one of my favorite shows on our network. So uh, happy two year anniversary to Postmarks and uh, what a way to market with Nate Milton. All right. We're coming back. Rewind to SmackDown. Lots of coverage this weekend. Lone Star Shootout, UFC 295. All of that can be found. Postwrestling.com. And that is it for Rewind a Dynamite. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.